The number of New Zealanders moving to Australia is soaring, with figures out this week showing a record equaling 54,000 leaving in the last year. But increasing numbers are struggling to get by in their new country. Radio New Zealand's Insight program travelled to Australia to speak to some who have made the move across the Tasman. Like thousands of others, every month dozens of passengers pile onto a flight to Australia. Many will just be visiting for some winter sun, but about 3,000 every month are choosing to stay and call Australia home. As passengers shove luggage into overhead lockers, a woman travelling with two granddaughters declares they have so much stuff as they're leaving New Zealand for good. The prospects in Australia are obviously attractive, but are there any downsides? I'm Philippa Tolley. In this insight, I speak to New Zealanders in Australia about their experiences. So this is the official part of the company. This is the smoker room. Scott Alexander sold his business after it was hit hard by the recession. But um, it's pretty cluttered at the moment because I've just been, you know, there's been no staff here since 2008 really, so you know, it's now become more of a tall shed and uh, spare room when somebody comes to stay. After spending three decades building up an earth-moving company, he feels forced to seek better opportunities in Western Australia. I don't want to go to Australia. I'm born and bred here, devoted 30 years of my life to the community, but the reality is that uh, we're not going anywhere. Maybe as a country, but certainly as a, a economic community, we're not going anywhere in the far north. So I really don't feel I have a lot of choice. And in doing that, I can maybe provide for my son and more for my children and my wife better than I have been able to certainly in the last four years. But although he has 30 years working experience, Scott Alexander says he got nowhere with sending off a hundred applications. So he plans to just turn up at the mining companies. He's prepared to start on the bottom rung. The best opportunity I will get will be as a trainee operator, and to do that, it won't be through human resource companies. I have to go to Australia and go to the companies that own the mines directly, and bang on their door. But he regards the work in Australia as an extended but temporary option for the next decade. I'm looking at it as a ten-year measure. Circumstances might change the way it may not be that long, but at the end of the day, I'm looking at it as a career move. I think it would be silly for me to. Dump my business and then go and hop on a shovel for somebody else. So I'm looking at going and doing the whatever I have to do to get in, and then looking at it as a career move from then on. And if that takes ten years, well, that's fine. Scott Alexander aims to own his own kerikeri property at the end of those ten years and to have amassed enough to provide for a comfortable retirement. But thousands of others are making the move permanently. Updated details of New Zealanders living in Australia have emerged with analysis of last year's census, which has been released in the last two months. One of those investigating what those statistics show is a researcher with the School of Maori Studies at Victoria University, Paul Hamer. Over a cup of coffee, he explained the trends those figures reveal. I thought maybe the official census night figure for Māori in Australia might have gone up from about 93,000 to maybe 110,000, which I thought would be a reasonable jump. So I was I was really surprised that it was as much as it was, up to 128,000, a rise of 38%. Um, of course, we know that the New Zealand-born population in Australia over the same five-year period rose by 100,000 people. So what we're seeing is a very accelerated rise in, in the last intercensal period um, of New Zealanders moving to Australia. Um, it's something that is an, has been an ongoing trend over the last 30, nearly 40 years. It's come in cycles, in particular around 
10-year cycles, but it's really of late, apart from a small dip, I think, around the time of the global financial crisis kicking in, it's, um, it's accelerated again and there's no sign of it letting up. Paul Hamer has compiled his own tables from the Australian census data that shows since the last census in 2006, the numbers of New Zealanders in Australia have increased by 24%. But in Western Australia, home to a large mining industry, the increase is almost 50%, and the numbers of New Zealanders moving to Queensland is up by 29% in the last five years. But Paul Hamer's analysis of Māori immigration is even more dramatic, with a whopping 84% rise in the number moving to Western Australia. That move for work is encouraged by special expos trying to attract skilled New Zealanders to fill vacancies across the Tasman. The Treasurer of South Australia, Jack Snelling, would welcome New Zealanders wanting to move to his state as there's a looming shortfall of skilled workers. What we want is for people to make their homes here uh, more so than just temporary workers who come and then leave our state. We actually want more people from interstate, from overseas, from New Zealand, um, to come to South Australia and make their homes here. There's going to be enormous opportunities, there are enormous opportunities, particularly for people with those critical skills, with our uh, expanding defence industries and our mining industries. Um, so we're very keen for more and more people to make South Australia their home. That state will have thousands of jobs at the controversial Olympic Dam, Uranium and Copper Mine, and there are planned Defence Force contracts to build submarines. Many of those who have moved expect to have the same rights as Australians after a few years, but it's not the case. Since the 26th of February 2001, legislation introduced by the Australian government changed the rights for everyone who arrived after that date. New Zealanders are still allowed to live and work in Australia indefinitely, but they're no longer classified as permanent residents. They are issued special category visas, which are indefinite, but are classified as temporary. To get permanent residency and then citizenship, New Zealanders have to qualify like everyone else by ticking immigration boxes such as being the right age and having the right work skills. Beyond offensive, I have little doubt that it's in violation of international law. I mean, the, the standard premise under various treaties is, yes, you can have uh, temporary restrictions, um, but they've got to be reasonable and proportionate. Uh, nobody in their right mind can say a restriction that's indefinite is proportionate. David Faulkner is an advocate for the rights of New Zealanders living in Australia. He was born in this country but moved there at the age of six and has lived in Australia for more than 40 years. But he also spent time working overseas and was out of the country during the law change in 2001. He has spent years challenging what he believes is discrimination. Australian federal laws, there's a big loophole that uh, allows discrimination based on nationality. It's unlawful to discriminate against a New Zealander because we're born in New Zealand, but under federal law it's perfectly OK to discriminate based on citizenship. In the last few weeks, David Faulkner has had an appeal over housing accepted by the Anti-Discrimination Board in New South Wales. The New Zealand reality TV series, The GC, shown earlier this year, followed a group of 20-something New Zealand Māori living on Australia's Gold Coast. Paul Hamer sets out how their different status as New Zealanders could affect them. If you move in your 20s and you don't have dependent children, you won't really think about what might go wrong. I mean, I think of someone like Tame from the, the GC, and if the reality is, for her, I mean, he's doing quite well, it seems, but if he broke his leg became very, very sick. I mean, I hope that doesn't happen, but 
uh, he wouldn't have any sort of unemployment assistance or sickness benefit or anything like that, and he may be forced to return to New Zealand. So there are real downsides. The other thing as well is that, I mean, people probably feel slightly invulnerable in their 20s, but if they have children, one thing they've got to realise is that their children, although born in Australia, won't be Australian citizens at birth. And even if they do become Australian citizens on their 10th birthday, if they live there continuously, by, because of who their parents are, if the parents haven't become permanent residents, by the time they get to leave school, they'll have difficulty entering tertiary study because they won't be eligible for any student allowances. You can see how for a lot of children of the New Zealand-born, there will be much more limited options and horizons for them as they get older. Paul Callister is a visiting fellow at the Stout Research Centre at Victoria University in Wellington and has a long-standing interest in migration issues. He says the changes Australia introduced in 2001 were prompted by worries about so-called backdoor migration. So what they worried about were people coming in from a range of countries, including the Pacific, us making them New Zealand citizens, and then those people then going on to Australia. And so they, what they thought is that ultimately you know, we were creating their, their migration policies. It was our policies that created theirs. Paul Callister says New Zealand citizens do still enjoy extensive rights in being able to live and work in Australia, but he believes those who move just don't know the details, and young people especially believe they are bulletproof and nothing can go wrong. And the effects of their legislation appear to be growing. There was an outcry among the expat community affected by the floods in Queensland when it became clear their temporary status meant they weren't eligible for assistance payments. Special compassionate grants were made available in that instance. But in the last month, new laws compensating Australians injured by acts of terrorism also appear to exclude New Zealand citizens. David Faulkner describes the flow-on effect of those 2001 changes as insidious. You've had in the last 12 years hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders moving across here permanently without a clue. They really don't know their situation until they run into trouble and then it's too late for them. If they become disabled or their, their child has a problem, etc., they lose their job through a national disaster, through no fault of their own, it's only then that it dawns on what their actual position is. Figures released in just the last few weeks show how the law change at the turn of the century has affected the transition to Australian citizenship. About 90% of New Zealanders who arrived in the last 10 years are not citizens of their new home, compared with figures of the 70s and 80s where virtually all arrivals became Australians. But people keep moving. Dwayne Rangitawera feels good that he and his wife Karen have been able to help a number of young people who have moved to Melbourne to find their way in life. As we drive into the city, he says it's a great feeling to get people onto a productive path. These kids could have gone into the gangs and, and onto the bad, to the harder drugs and, and all that sort of thing. And I just think it's gross to have ended up over here and they, you know, they've got a job now and a few of them have got, they've found girlfriends and they're actually doing well instead of like, you know, they're not, they're not sitting at home, ting, you know, with idling and um, there's nothing to do, I suppose, and they end up in the gangs and on the drugs or, you know, on the alcohol and, yeah.
Dwayne Rangitawira has played host in his home to quite a few relatives from New Zealand as they try to get jobs and settle in. And the success of some has often encouraged others to give Australia a go. I'd say more family have followed, but at the same time I'd say that there's been families that have moved back as well because they haven't, it hasn't turned out well as they'd liked, you know, and probably because they miss home, so they've gone back, but yeah, I'd Yep, there has been a few families come over, especially in ours. <laughs> Asha Smith moved to Melbourne just over a year ago following a partner who'd got a job promotion. In his early 30s, he had a wide range of work experience, had lived in Australia before and thought getting a job would be relatively easy. But that wasn't the case. It took a long time for me to actually get a job. I filled in a number of different applications for various roles and uh, I didn't really at all have the hit rate that I expected. I would guess that I probably applied for 30 jobs, and it wasn't for, say, a month before I even got my foot in the door and got an interview, so not at all how I expected in the sense of walking in, having pretty good credentials, a good CV, and just getting whatever opportunity I thought. No, certainly not like that. The experience of Rebecca Brown is the sort that drags people away from these shores. In her early 20s, with a father already living in Brisbane, the pool became irresistible when her mother moved as well. I don't regret it. Work's been really good. My partner and I have been both were quite lucky in finding jobs and the weather's great and money's a lot better. I actually um, managed to get a job that was paying... 18 to $20,000 more than what I was getting in New Zealand and Kyle, my partner, actually doubled his salary. But that doesn't mean there weren't a couple of drawbacks. The competition to get a rental property is huge. You're, you're turning up with about 30 people at a time and we did offer $10 above what they were asking in rental price so that we had some sort of edge over the other applicants and we managed to get that. And Rebecca Brown says she was unaware of the differences in state support, especially when it comes to higher education. I had no idea. I actually came over here partly to study. I can't get a student loan because I'm not a citizen. So I'm actually currently studying, but I'm forking it out of my own pocket, which is quite expensive. And I have it has gone through the back of my mind if I was to be made redundant and I didn't have a job. I'm lucky because I have my parents here to support me, and I, they will. But a lot of Kiwis come over here thinking that the government supports them the same as the New Zealand government supports Australians when they live in New Zealand, but it's not, it's not the same. Was that quite a surprise to you when you found that out? It's annoying because I pay tax. And the student loan, for example, it's paid out of your salary every month, fortnight, weekly, and they won't allow me to get it, even though I pay the tax. A welfare worker in Logan City to the south of Brisbane, Therese Dempsey, helps those who are having a less successful time in life at the Salvation Army Welfare Centre. We can open the door to 25 people in the morning, which is really quite difficult because we can't see that many people. We try and see the first five people that arrive at our door and then we take appointments from then on just to make it fair for everybody. What are people here for? Mainly for food, but... The requests really do range from um, rego to clothing to household goods, furniture. I mean, we have people asking for, uh, especially now it's winter blankets and warm clothes for their children. Yeah, so it's it's quite a quite a lot of things people coming and ask for.
these are some of our donations. It's quite messy at the moment, but as you can see, we get shoes, clothes, food, and... She says many really of the people they see from New Zealand have been caught out when things go wrong. New Zealanders don't qualify for any parenting payments, and they get the basic amount of family tax benefit. If I could use an example, we have a client at the moment who, he came over, he had a job set up, he was working very hard, he injured his arm, and there's a workers' comp inquiry at the moment because they're not paying him. Their family of four is getting $400 a fortnight from their family tax benefit, and their rent is 350 a week. So obviously every week they are getting further and further behind and quite similar stories for most New Zealanders that come over. They're only um, entitled to the basic family tax A and B, no parenting payments. So if they don't have a really well-paying job that can continue um, and be ongoing, they are in real trouble. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but our unemployment rate has now risen to 5.2, which is starting to close in on New Zealand's. The centre is seeing more and more New Zealand clients and many are struggling with rents higher than their income. Many try to get ahead by doubling up on accommodation, but as Therese Dempsey explains, that doesn't mean there are rooms for each family. People living in friends' garages, under their house, on their couches, and you know that I think that's very hard on the children who then have to, you know, get up and go to school the next day and concentrate and it, it must be very hard on the parents as well. You know, I think every parent wants to give their child the best in life and to be forced to share a house and be overcrowded and not be able to give your kids everything they want is heartbreaking. She is aware of some trying to make ends meet by turning to sex work. And then that starts a whole new cycle of drug abuse and alcohol abuse and, and that then creates its own set of problems as well so that that's a big risk too because when people are forced to make a choice between their family starving or doing something unsavory it, it's a very hard decision to make. She says some New Zealanders ask for airfares to get back home which is not possible. These people may be hungry or homeless but have no way to get back. Marshall McDonald echoes that need to be prepared. He moved to Melbourne in the last couple of years leaving behind his hometown of Levin. He is living with his sister and says Farnell support has been vital as relocating in his late 40s has been hard. This job for me was pretty hard because of my age. Now, like I'm nearly 50 now. It's not like if I would have thought about it, I would have come over earlier because I think you've got to come over with a bit of money because don't think you're going to come over here and get into a job straight away. It was pretty hard for me. I was pretty lucky I had my sister here because I came over with absolutely no money. And for me to come over and for my sister to take me in like that, you know, it, was, it was pretty hard for me to get a job. And, you know, she was giving me money here and there and because you can't get nothing here. But I did it. No, it took me five months. And five, five months with no money is, is pretty hard. I don't think anybody could live like that if they didn't have a partner like I've got. Like I said, I've got a big partner and the love that comes with that Jeff Whitehouse, who is in his early 50s, is now a principal advisor at Maritime Safety Queensland. He took several months to find a job when he moved two years ago, as he didn't find work before leaving New Zealand. But he did know there was no welfare support if things got sticky. We made that choice. I don't think either my wife or I would have looked at, to the unemployment benefit at all. You know, we saw it as our risk, our journey. 
as it's transpired, it hasn't been so bad. But uh, no, at the time, we, we sat around and thought, have we done the right thing? But we got through that. Jeff Whitehouse says friends are what he misses most about New Zealand, along with the landscape. He says New Zealand is a lovely place, but feels limited, and choices have to be made. We saw this as the long-term opportunity as to a successful later life. Now Mary Bartlett-Johnson is a president of Te Korowai Aroha, an organisation to help Māori, Pacifica and other New Zealanders resettling in southeast Queensland. She's experienced firsthand the overly optimistic expectations of some of those making the move. It is much harder. You don't have the whānau support. You don't have friends support. So when you fall on hard time, there's nothing to back you. Uh, you might have family over here who encourage you to come over, but if you do not come adequately prepared, and I'm talking about thousands in your bank account because in reality you're looking at ten to thirty thousand to settle. If you haven't got that money behind you and you have a fallout with your family, you've got nowhere to turn to. Now Mary Bartlett Johnson says the differences in government support between the two countries are significant and it's not just a question of a stand down period before an individual becomes eligible. There is no stand down period for you to get access to benefits. If you arrive after 2001, there is no way you're going to get money. So people struggle with that. It's very hard to make people understand you're not eligible. You're not Australian citizen. Once you do become that, and that's a standard period of two years to you know, become eligible to become a citizen, you've got to apply for residency first after two years and then look at becoming a citizen of Australia. But... There's a lot of criteria. One of them is that you have to be under 45, have an occupation that the government will accept, have money to back you once again. As Rebecca Brown in Brisbane found out, one area where the difference between being an Australian or New Zealand citizen stands out is tertiary study. After a gap year working in Melbourne, this student, who would like to be known as Lucy, started a science degree at one of the city's universities. But at one of the city's cafes, she explains what that meant for her financially. I am not eligible for what they call a hex debt over here, so it's a student loan, um, which means I have to pay all my fees for my subjects up front every semester. So twice a year I have to pay, it's about $2,500 a semester for a science degree. So, yeah, I don't get the chance to put my loan on ice. New Zealand citizens pay the same fees as Australian citizens, but have to pay them faster. And Lucy says there are other differences for New Zealanders studying in Australia, such as not being allowed a student travel card. I've got all the criteria in terms of being a full-time student, age, all that kind of thing, but they just said because I was a New Zealander I couldn't get it. Because of discrepancies like these, an online petition is being run calling for a fair go for New Zealand citizens living in Australia by the website Māori and Oz. The online introduction says the changes to legislation in 2001 have resulted in a strong sense of discrimination emerging. Those sentiments are echoed in the comments posted by some of the more than 1,000 people who have already signed. It affects potential career opportunities and voting. I feel like I've been treated like a second-class citizen. I work very hard and pay a lot of tax. This is unfair. I fear that if one of us gets permanently injured from work, we will never be able to get anything from the government because we're not Australian citizens. It's not all as flowery as everyone makes out. 
One of those behind the petition, Crystal Brodelow, wants more information clearly posted on High Commission websites to make it clear what New Zealanders are and are not eligible for in Australia. The reality is there, this is such a broad area. It covers education, social services, employment, health, um, just so many areas, housing, that you, no person in their right mind would even know to look deeply into all of those things. I mean, just recently, the um, terrorism bill was introduced just over a month ago, which now affects New Zealand citizens who live in Australia, regardless how long they've lived here. If they travel overseas for business or holiday or family reasons, um, they're not entitled to any compensation if they're caught up in a terrorist act outside of Australia. So these laws are constantly passing through. So we're just... um, And the biggest concern here is the fact that Australian citizens can actually go to New Zealand and they're entitled to everything. And they don't even require um, New Zealand citizenship to get student loans, to get access to social welfare or employment opportunities, education. They don't require any of that. So we're just asking for fair and equal treatment. She says the inequality is clearly discriminatory. For example, a lot of forms that you fill out it always asks, are you a New Zealand citizen? There is no other nation in this country that gets asked, are you a British subject? Are you from Asia? Are you from Europe? It's always directed at New Zealand citizens. Crystal Brodelow would like a visa introduced so that New Zealanders travelling to Australia would have to make themselves better informed. She would also like discussions between Canberra and Wellington to make sure citizens of one country are not favoured over the other and, if necessary, the rights of Australians in New Zealand downgraded to make things fair and equal. A university researcher, Paul Hamer, says although there is little sign that Australia will change any of the regulations as it aims for a balanced budget, New Zealanders are more than paying their way. If you think about the extent of the welfare payments that Australia would have to pay to cover unemployment and sickness and whatnot, um, compared to the tax take from New Zealanders, uh, Australia arguably does quite well out of the situation because they receive these people usually um, qualified uh, or um, certainly of working age. They don't have to train them, um, they don't have to educate them. The people will be usually in reasonably good health and they'll work hard and pay a lot of tax. Despite the challenges and potential pitfalls, Marshall MacDonald says Australia is the way forward for his family, as he sees very little on offer for them in New Zealand. I'm looking at the future for my children. There's absolutely nothing in living that will help my children there. I've been there, and that's just... living for me is a peace city place. All it is is a drug place, and I know that because I've been there, done that. And I'm just trying to, trying to get them out of that environment into a better place and a greater place for them. While many are full of excitement at the prospect of a new, brighter life, now Mary Bartlett-Johnson says it can all fade. You see them coming at the airport, and they're full of hope, and there's some light in their eyes, but it doesn't last long if you do not have the resources to support you while you are here, whether it's three months, three years or 30 years. You need something behind you. But some of those enjoying all that a big Australian city can offer still see the potential of a future in New Zealand. Lucy says family and friends she cherishes are a huge pull, 
but that's not all. I also miss the New Zealand culture. There are nuances here that are different. I feel like New Zealanders have a much more can-do attitude to things, even if they haven't tried them before. Whereas here it's a little bit different, so I do miss that. And I just, I, yeah, I miss the New Zealand culture. I don't think I could permanently live away from New Zealand as my home. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radioNZ.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. Technical production was by Chris Keogh.